Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro, and welcome to another episode of Med Lasso from Explore the Space podcast. Before we get to the episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. We are back for another episode of Med Lasso from Explore the Space podcast. We are doing Ted Lasso Season 1, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of the first season of the show. If you have not gotten yourself all caught up, please do so. The archive for Med Lasso is in the show notes. You can go to www.explorethespaceshow.com to find it. My host on these Med Lasso episodes is back. Dr. Syed Tabatabai is here, and we are joined by another kidney doctor. Dr. Joel Topp is here to help us with a really interesting and a really challenging and complex episode. Season one, episode nine goes deep on making mistakes, apologizing for mistakes, being forgiven for mistakes, and also figuring out how to do some self-forgiveness. And I would submit in the world of healthcare, these are all things that are difficult, stressful, challenging, and places where we have opportunities for improvement. And of course, given that me as the son of a kidney doctor is joined by two other kidney doctors, we had to cover our favorite electrolytes. That's just the way it had to be. And it was an absolute blast. Do check out the whole archive of the podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. As I said, you can hit me on social media at ETS Show on Twitter, at Explore the Space Show on Instagram. Please do use hashtag MedLasso on social media. Great way for us to keep track of all the great things you're doing and seeing and enjoying with respect to this wonderful community that we've got. Feel free to email me anytime, Mark, at explorethespaceshow.com as well. And don't forget the Explore the Space merchandise store is open, and you can find that on the website www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. Great stuff in there. Please do check it out if you have not already. Speaking of things to check out, Ted Lasso, Season 1, Episode 9. The new Med Lasso is here. Let's get amongst it. Syed, we're back and we're closing it on the end of Season 1 of Ted Lasso, but welcome back to Med Lasso, pal. It's great to be here, especially this episode. This is uh, interesting for me as a nephrologist. This is a good episode as a nephrologist, and I actually I have no idea why you said that. I don't mean to like just totally support <laughs> your line. <laughs> that being said, you you are in one of the rare occasions we have two nephrologists on call. Joel Topf is here at Kidney Boy on Twitter. Joel, welcome. Hey, longtime listener, first time caller. Happy to be here. I feel like I do fit in because I'm the son of a nephrologist, and I considered a, a nephrology fellowship. For those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, nephrology is the study of the physiology and pathophysiology of the kidneys. So kidney medicine, extraordinarily complicated, super, super cool. And I think I, we're going to just start where we need to start because everyone's wondering. I think kidney medicine, it, 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 I'm tired of the rubric of it being like 
hard and boring and too difficult. It's awesome. It's super cool. And it's not that hard. It takes a little practice. It's not that hard. Joel. I love that you call it kidney medicine. I never introduce myself or identify as a nephrologist. I think no. that is a purposely obtuse term, which 100%. is exactly what you were going with. Like, yeah. oh, it's too hard. And it's too boring. I, I'm always a kidney doctor. And I, yeah. I, I love that you identified that. My dad was a kidney doctor. Nephrology. I didn't learn that until I went to medical school. He was a kidney doctor. Syed, what, what, what are we doing here? It's I your agree. Profession. I think, take it back. Yeah, I know. I know. We're, we're, we got to take nephrology back to the people, man. It's <laughs> kidney medicine back to the people. Yeah, there's this whole thing that has built up around it. You know, I think it stems from renal physiology and med school. Yeah. I think that's, that, that is a rough, rough uh, section, but that's not nephrology necessarily as a practice. That's the so. thing. We got to rethink. We got to go back to the source and rethink like the marketing, how it's being presented, how it's being taught and constructed. It's really cool. It's no, look, all of physiology is hard. Lung physiology is super hard. Gas exchange across the alveoli is really complicated. It's this is just marketing. This is just no, branding. But the difference, and the you difference guys need there to take it back. is it's mechanical, and people love to understand mechanical stuff. They love the heart because it's mechanical. They love Joel, the lungs. I'm seeing you up, buddy. The, the, <laughs> no, the kidney, the kidney is solid state. It, you know, oh. you, just, you can't look at the organ and figure out how it works. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw you guys fungos in batting practice. It's up to you if you're going to swing at them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's your call, but. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I want nothing more than nephrology, than kidney medicine to rise to its appropriate stature. Anyways, speaking of taking things back, when we start Med Lasso episode reviews, I normally will kick the first question to our guest or to Syed. And today I'm taking it back. I'm doing it first. This is important to me. This episode, watching it again, it's been a while, wrecked me. It wrecked me. This episode, we like to start with what are these episodes about? What are the words that leap to mind? Right, that high level strategic view. So I did that to myself. I did that exercise. So I'm going first, and I will hope you will afford me that that privilege because normally I don't do this as the host, and it's not great hosting, but I'm doing it. Joel, is that okay? Go. All right. This episode is all about mistakes, apologies, and forgiveness. Those three things. In concert, in parallel, and in series. And the reason that it wrecked me is each character goes through a space where they have made a mistake of some variety or another, and they are beating themselves up over that mistake. I do that multiple times a day. They find closure, and of course this is fiction, and it's in the span of a day. They Almost all of them, not all, but almost all of them find some closure. And it's one of those things where we think about why does this show resonate and why do we want to talk about it as physicians and as healthcare professionals? We rarely get that closure when we make a mistake as a physician, as a nurse, as a physical therapist, as an administrator. And, well, and, let, and let's face it, the amount of closure that uh, they have here is something we don't see in just life, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, that's a great point. That's it's not just in it's not just in our profession. They get a lot of closure in this episode for sure, but. I, I wonder, not why, I'm not naive. I've been in this job for a, for a minute. Joel, why is the, why are we so good at beating up on ourselves? Why aren't we able as, ex, we're all experienced. The three of us between us, we're, we're, we're in it, right? We're all mid-career physicians. We've been at this for a while. We've worked with a lot of doctors and a lot of residents and a lot of medical students. We are all 
really good at beating ourselves up over mistakes. Why are we elite at this toxic skill? I mean, I think it comes from just caring so much about your patients and wanting to do such a good job that when you fall short, it it hurts to your core. It's not a surface wound. That's a great call. It's not a surface wound. Syed, take us past a surface wound. I agree with Joel 100%. I mean, it comes with the territory. If you're in the, if you're caring about people on some level, these things hurt more. It's, it's, you know, mistakes are one thing, but mistakes where there's so much uh, at stake and there's so much behind it. And also through our medical training. And, you know, as we come up as students, I feel like there's not a lot of space for discussion of this side of it, right? We're taught decision-making, but the consequences of our decision-making aren't really talked about at all. And so, you know, they say you don't know a procedure until you've dealt with its uh, complications. And I think this is just a grander complication of the practice of medicine. We just don't know it that well. And to be honest, uh, a lot of the people that were my mentors and teachers didn't have the emotional quotient, the EQ to be good teachers of this. Like, I'm not sure who I I mean, there's let me rephrase it. There have been some mentors who have been excellent at it. And I tried to spend as much time with them as possible just to pick up those, those soft skills you know, and a lot of it also is what's so exciting when you're in medical education are the hard skills. Oh, I want to learn how to do a thoracentesis. That's really cool because it's it's a measurable thing that I can now do that I couldn't do before. But those soft skills, they're much harder to transmit. They're much harder to pick up. There's, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's it's a weird dynamic. And, and I'm in that place where I did have that mentor. My dad has actually been instrumental for me over the course of my medical training and beyond of understanding what it means to forgive oneself and that mistakes are baked into the work. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Uh, It's and it's still really, really hard where it becomes a problem, though, is I think too where you beat up on yourself, not because uh, from a place of caring, like, oh, my gosh, I, I cared about this patient and something went wrong, where we make a mistake and we get into that place of what is this? How does this affect how people might think of me? How does this affect how my team might think of me, my attending, my medical director, the rest of my teammates, myself, my right? We, there's a lot that goes into this. And I think from a place of being a perfectionist, me, it, it also lands in that box as well of I'm going to wail on myself for a while because I'm not perfect. And oh, my gosh, all these people who I like, respect and care about are going to see me as not perfect. And I can't handle that. I should probably like just go and take a nap because this is <laughs> this is brutal. This is brutal. This is hitting Zayed, hard, Mark. This Zayed, is- <laughs> Zayed, get me off the hook here, pal. No, I mean you're you're right. That's one of the toughest parts, right? There's so much of what we do, and even when we don't realize it, at some subconscious level, you're you're all sort of there's that the simmering imposter syndrome and that comparison to everybody else and that need to appear a certain way to your team. And I remember when I started my renal fellowship, dialysis catheter placement, right? I wasn't great at hard skills. And I had a streak of like, I think my first five cath placements were all just horrible. They were horrible. And literally, I'm like two weeks in my fellowship and thinking to myself, is this, you know, am I cut out for this? Not even, you know, dialysis catheter placement isn't even something I do anymore as a nephrologist. But when you're in that mindset um, of beating up on yourself, it's really hard to, to do what Ted does, which is take that 50,000 foot view, that big picture view. It, it's almost impossible. You got to work at that scale. Well, it's what's so startling about that scene, right? You have, you're, you're trying to imagine, oh, what's Ted going to do? What's going to, and Rebecca's thinking the same thing. Oh, what, what's coming back my way after, you know, exposing my soul like this. And it's the most unexpected response. I forgive you. Oh, 
<laughs> it's we, stunning. We rarely have that that experience happen where you know we're we're counseled to and I, I, this counseling and teaching and coaching has come later in my career around how do we own mistakes how do we be transparent about errors in the hospital with the family with the patient with the team in the medical record all of these sorts of things it's the right thing to do we do it to reduce you know risk of liability but most importantly we 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 are learning it because it is the right thing to do but it is you are on an island having been in that situation multiple times and i will be on it again cuz i still practice medicine you are on an island when you walk into that room or pick up that phone call to say i need to speak with you about something can we talk it's it's a hard place to be syed how have you learned to navigate those waters where you walk into the room like rebecca something has gone wrong and we have to have a conversation with the with your patient who you care about with the family who you may or may not have gotten to know and have that conversation? You know, I, I think it's still a skill that's evolving for me. And I think uh, I'm not at that point yet where I have a one go-to that I can apply universally across the board. I think for me, it's easier when it's directly with the patient. Because with the patient, I've built a bond and I feel like there's a trust level there and I can talk about it. For me, it's still really difficult with family. Um, you know, because I, I really, you know, if I'm lucky, I know the family and we have some degree of trust there. But a lot of times I don't really know them that well. And if the patient is incapacitated and I can't, you know, go through that avenue, that's really difficult. And I'm still working. I think being upfront, not using a lot of technical verbiage, trying to be as blunt as possible and as transparent as possible, but also taking into account what the family's like and how your interactions with them have gone. It's, it's a finesse thing, I think. But, you know, definitely one thing I've learned is you can't keep softening the blow by hiding behind jargon. And by trying to pass it off. People pick up on that very quickly. I think if you're honest, just, you know, no matter what kind of language you're using, if they can tell that you're laying your heart out there and you're being completely honest with them, they appreciate that. How is it? How is this space for you, Joel, as an attending, also as an educator, who has a lot of people who will be rounding on your team and who will have maybe never heard this before? Or like you said, they may not have ever seen this role model before. So when you go in to meet with the patient and their family to talk about something that's not going the way anybody expected, it may very well be the first time that your teammates are seeing this role model by their attending. Yeah. And oftentimes it's harder to apologize for a system failure or somebody else on your team's gap. And, and you know, it falls on the attending, right? That's, that's the job as the attending, but it is a little bit, it's you're, you're like, I wasn't here and I didn't say that, or I didn't do that, or I didn't communicate that, but let me try to make this as good as we can make it. And, and that's another kind of awkwardness where you're like, I'm, in some ways, I'm one degree removed. I'm trying to take responsibility here, but you know, and I know that this was not my mess, right? And that that makes it a little bit a little bit more difficult. And trying to and trying to get that connection with a family member or a or even a patient that you have, they may not that you may be meeting for the first time. You know, it, it is it is difficult. And you know, I agree. You, you can't use jargon. You got to go through this forward, straightforward. And I think, you know, to me, people see when you come in hat in hand, when you put away your ego and you just come in and say, hey, this is not what any of us wanted. This was a mistake. Let me explain how what happened from our side, what we were intending. And this is where we have. And then let's work together and let's find a way out. 
yeah. and trying to bring them in saying, hey, we're going to work together and that this is going to be a collaborative move going forward. And then, you know, and then the, and I think the most important is if you have anything else, I'm giving you my cell phone. I want you to call me directly. I don't want you to go through anybody else. Let's make sure we have a clear line of communications between you and me. Which again is that that bond of you know that connection, which is which is so important in those places. And and in that same space in this episode, as people are moving through their errors and their their the process of apologizing, I think a lot of the apologies in this episode kind of role model what a really honest, succinct, passionate, effective apology can look like. They then come back to a group that sort of welcomes them. I feel like in our profession that doesn't exist. When you go through the process that we've spent the last few minutes describing, the day just goes on. If you're fortunate enough to have a partner at home or a friend at home that you can confide in, that's great. But there's no circling back. There's no Roy to catch you from walking into the road after four beers, right? You just walk into the road again. And I think that that loneliness in our profession is it's always been there. And I guess it's it may just be a characteristic in our profession and it may just be worth calling it out so people have situational awareness as opposed to being like, why is it like this? Syed, what do you think about that? You're right. It's one of the difficult parts of our profession is not having that circle back and not having that safety net in a way. I mean, we're out there and you're dealing with all these things. It's helpful to have, honestly, Mad Lasso is a great tool for me and a great uh, space for me for this thing is that we talk about these issues every episode and we're able to discuss them and discuss them with each other. But I don't know why, uh, I, I can't speak for everybody, but just for me, I don't know why we don't really have that in person. I talk with my colleagues every day, but we sort of skate on superficial stuff a lot of times and no one really, hey, you know, wants to bear their soul and go through all this. Everyone's like, you know, I got six more hours on shift, man. I'm just trying to, you know, keep my head above water. So you're right. I, I think it would be helpful if we had that space. We recently, we recently uh, instituted an M&M for a, a, a morbidity and mortality conference just within our division for the fellows, right? For the fellows literally to bring what's the disaster that you couldn't believe happened to a patient that you were supposed to be responsible for. And let's, and let's talk it through. And it's, it's not like a surgical M&M where it's, I mean, sure, we do some root cause analysis, but a lot of it is just like, hey, you did the right things, right? Let's go over everything you did. See, there, there were no mistakes here. This was not an error on your part. This was a bad outcome. And these things happened. And, and actually, we can see some places where we can improve the process. But I thought, it to me, it was a moment where the fellow could like unburden from some pretty heavy, you know, guilt, right, of a yeah. bad patient outcome. And, and I, I think there's a the, and I think that should be built into these residency programs. These 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 are young these are young people that are just beginning to come to these uh, these experiences that are you know they're deep they're heavy and they weigh on you. I mean I remember yeah. I I carry around mistakes that I made in residency twenty years ago twenty five years ago hundred percent. I mean like on the daily they don't go away. I mean, maybe they do maybe they do for some. Um, I don't have that skill set. It's it's hard. It's really hard. It, there's a cost to to doing this work. And I love being a doctor and I carry my mistakes for sure. I did not plan this to be the Mark Venting <laughs> episode, but this is what came up as I was watching it. And the other thing that happened 
as I was watching it too, I didn't realize this before. All of this stuff, except for just the very end, it's all one day. It's Ted on call. It's Ted being called to a rapid response. It's Ted being called to a code. It's Ted admitting three patients in one hour. <laughs> it's Ted, right? All of these things are happening in one day. Different personalities, different challenges, very, very high stakes, right? People's jobs, people's success, people's self-esteem, people's futures. Ted, this episode could have been Ted is on call. Ted Lasso on call. And it would have been just, it would have stuck out more that this is just all in one day. And even at the end of the day, he's still trying to reconcile all that has happened. And then the next morning, somehow he has to come in fresh with cookies and the smile on his face. Joel, is that normal? Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that you hit the reset button. You got to come yeah. in the next day and you got to yeah. be, and you got to be ready to, to shake what happened yesterday and come in with a fresh face. Cookies. Sure. Sayed. You have a yeah. wry smile on your face. You <laughs> it was just such a tightly written episode. I didn't even yeah. think about it the way you mentioned until now is that, you know, and if you look at it, nothing super momentous in the sense of like a, a game or, you know, some big event. These are all small moments, but they're also so powerful. And I think uh, for us, our, our, our days on call are filled with these small moments. As Joel said, you just got to find a way to reset and uh, have, go back to it. The highs and the lows. But it's funny that you say that nothing hugely momentous, because to me, the season turns on this episode, right? Because up to now, you had Rebecca as your antagonist, right? And 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 we saw, and and right, Rupert was, the first time we saw Rupert was the previous episode in the dark, you know, or, or maybe, maybe there was a, no, there was another small, but his, his major point was that episode. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, he's actually the bad guy, right? And, uh, and then on this episode, you have uh, Rebecca. Cleaning, cleansing her soul, getting forgiven, bringing back Higgins, and all of a sudden she's a protagonist. She's no longer our antagonist, and and it's clear, especially with Rupert, with Rupert's reappearance here. You know, you have this, you have Rebecca, who is kind of always put together and all can't even talk to to Ted, and she bumps into Rupert, and he crushes her. And all of a sudden she has just the, the drive. She's like, I, I must, I must go to 10. I, I need to, I need my friends. This is a great call that the battle lines are sort of drawn, redrawn. I, 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 I really, I like that take a lot. And it helps me understand something else. Like with Nate in this episode, Nate is comprehensively weird. He doesn't have any, there's no Nate redemptions. There's no funny lines that he's just comprehensively strange in this episode. And it starts to, Again, with with the retrospectoscope, it starts to make more sense with these sort of lines being redrawn. But I'm glad you called out the line with, with the, the the bit with Rupert. Rebecca has one of the funniest lines in the entire series, <laughs> followed by the one that always makes me cry. When she says, what are you, a character from the fucking Bible? <laughs> wrecks me every time. <laughs> followed up 90 seconds later when Ted says, I forgive you. It's not Ted saying that. It's her totally perplexed saying why oh I, like even just saying it out loud what what an extraordinary actor hannah waddingham is to be able to do those two things at the same time but just i, I don't syed i'm kind of struggling because it makes me really emotional thinking about those two things so close together yeah she shows that that pain and that vulnerability so well and I think it's it's almost like that 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 confused why is because she's so used to people extracting their their, you know, their vengeance or whatever penance they're going to drag her through. 
and to get all the relationships place, have yeah. been transactional, exactly. right? Oh. And not this one. And then she gets yes. that point, and she's waiting for that inevitable, you know, to get hit with the hammer of, of putting her through more crap. And instead, Ted just goes to the heart of it. I love that. I love that. The other, the other, I guess. I don't know how we would describe it, kind of Joel using your descriptions, hard skill or soft skill. You know, Ted is able to get to the heart of it quickly, and then Rebecca is able to go there too. Keely, this is my favorite Keely episode, I think, not because just as I was putting on Twitter right before we started that she has elite sweatpants forever. She is always really good at something that I am still 46 years old, will work the rest of my life to get better at. Confronting someone promptly when something has gone wrong doing it in a comprehensive fashion, showing emotion, but doing it fairly so that there is space for them to come back and say, I'm sorry. She does it over and over again with every character on the show in large print with how she confronts Rebecca at the end of episode eight, follows it up with nine, holds Rebecca accountable, and then gets gets the friendship back on track and says, look, let's just fix this and then we'll move on. Just like it happened when I was 13. That is a skill set, man. That is like aspirational stuff. She makes it look so easy. It is 10 out of 10 Hall of Fame for me. Joel, how does that part land for you? Yeah, she, Keely's great. Uh, I love the line Rebecca asks, well, what, what does it all matter? And she's like, it matters to me, right? You need to live your life with some uh, integrity, and this is what you need to do. And and that's the that's the ask right there. You, you know, if, Do you want to live up to my feelings for you? Do you want to be as good as I think you are? It matters to me. Oh, gonna- I love that. Oh, that's so good. All right. Well, thinking about how I can live up to being as good as you guys think I am, we had to pull some elite stuff from the pyramid of success. And I did it before I rewatched the episode, but we nailed it. So we're going to do our pyramid of success because I think this is the right spot for it. From the John Wooden pyramid of success, we're doing condition. Ability may get you to the top, but character keeps you there. Mental, moral, and physical. Joel, talk about condition. You know, it, it feels it feel like this is what residency is all about. It's con- it's getting people to be conditioned so that they're going to be able to deal with any type of emergency or uh, medical problem or social problem that they ever have in the future. And we push the residents day in, day out to do more than they think they can do, right? And and clearly, if you kind of look at the workload that they have, like no no human could do that. And they rise to the occasion and they do it. And and Wooden always talked about, he's like, the most important part of the condition, conditioning is when you're exhausted to push on there. That's when you push out to new boundaries. And so I, to me, it just, when I read, when I was reading about conditioning, I was like, yeah, it really felt to me like this is what we do in medical education. We do medic resident education. Syed, how about for you, condition? Um, what, what can I add to that? I mean, going back to the show, you know, all these characters, they all have their moment to show where they're at that level. They're all at top level skills, but they all get that one moment to show how they're a step above and how they have that character and how they have that additional drive or that additional moral compass that, you know, that reveals themselves to the audience. And that's one of the pleasures of the show, right? Is you get these moments and you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's who that person is. That's why I love this character so much. And you mentioned Keely and she has this incredible clarity. Uh, her character is really almost like the conscience, you know, the way Trent Krim was for Ted at one point, the, the voice in the head. And, and uh, it, it's, the whole show is filled with examples of this. But I think we have to be careful too, because uh, the idea of going to your point of exhaustion and then pushing past it is a dangerous one too. 
Um, because if you look at medical education, it's sort of fraught with this idea too, that is this really the best way to make people the best versions of themselves or, you know, clinicians, the whole work hours thing and everything. So it's a fine line. It takes someone special to be able to navigate people through this. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I respect people like Joel and people who are able to inspire people, but I think it's, it's, it gets, it gets tricky. I, I think all three of us trained in the space of, as Joel described it perfectly, come to your boundary and then find ways to move past it, both because you want to and because it's expected and also needed because of just the constraints of scheduling and you know the workforce that we have. I think we are seeing, though, right, that worked for me. I fell right into that, and I've worked myself well past any sort of safe boundary for my own you know mental and physical well-being more than once in my career. I think we are realizing that that pendulum is way too far over to one side and that we can balance it out. And I think that is the journey because I will still reflexively just say, I'll go do the work. It's not the right thing to do. It's not good for patient care. It's not good for the team. It's not good for me and it's not good for my family, but it's still that reflex. And it is, it is conditioned in now for sure. And I think we can probably, just as we can learn strategies and coaching ways to understand how we can forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we make. We can also see we're coming up to that conditioning edge. And what is the elite activity to do when you're there? What are the strategy? Okay, I'm here. I'm at this place where I'm at my threshold. Now, what do I do? As opposed to just automatically wily coyote right off the cliff. And I don't know the answers there, but I think that that's a place for our career to get better. Did you like the Wiley Coyote poll? Uh, yeah, your listeners won't see the movie, did they? <laughs> <laughs> the running in place. <laughs> the arms were pumping. The arms were pumping. That's right. We have gone really deep. We we this has been this has been heavy. And Syed is legit funny, and Joel is wicked funny. Let's spend some time in the locker room and let's try to be funny. God damn it, because this has been hard. Can we go in the locker room, Joel? You ready? I'm ready. All right. Nervous. I'm terrified. I know. Actually. I know. You guys. Well, we start. We start from a place of comfort. You know where we're going to start. I know. The question is always the same. You can get in the batter's box, take a few practice swings. You're ruling on tea. So I am not a tea drinker, but there have been two times in my life, two times in my life where tea was wonderful. So one of them, I had the privilege to hike to Everest Base Camp in uh, in Nepal. And you go from tea house to tea house. That's how that hike works. It's every night in a different tea house. And you had lunch in a different tea house. And they made this masala tea with milk and and some uh, uh, some sweetener in it. And it was amazing. And especially coming out of the cold and the wind and getting that masala tea. It was amazing. That is an apex uh, tea story. That's as good a tea story good. as we're ever going to get. That's pretty right. good. And then the the other one, I was um, I was uh, working on the, this company called Med Mastery, and I was writing a chapter for them on fluids and electrolytes. And it was it was a big ask. It was a ton of work, and I was just working all day long, drinking coffee, and it, it wasn't keeping me alert. And Franz, who runs that place, said, "Why don't you try this tea? And it's this South American tea called Mata." And they serve it in this gourd with this metal straw. It's loose tea and the straw has a strainer on it. It is, I loved it. It was great. And it it gives you a very different kind of alertness than coffee. I liked it quite a bit. I love it. Have you ever tried tried Mata? 
No, I haven't. The, the uh, whole ritual around it, it's really yeah, it's cool. Yeah, wow. right, the ritual is very yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very cool. It's it's a very distinctive flavor, and it is a euphoric rush. It's not – it is not the tea that we normally drink. It's it's, it's lovely. <laughs> it's really cool. I'm going to count uh, Joel as a tea person, just for the record. Oh, no. Put him in the, put him in the category for sure. That would be like a good story. Okay, 100%. Okay. The, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I, I know you both, and I've obviously – Syed and I have met and Joel and I've talked and had you both have two of the premium beards on all of med Twitter. I didn't do it intentionally, but I haven't shaved for a couple of days. And I realize now I must've done it because so I can fit in a little bit. I, I and was, it's the episode where we see either the it. best or the worst facial hair in the oh, history like, of television. I, I was thinking about going with the Van Dyke for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I look like I feel. Chill. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been a bold move. Joel, talk about the Van Dyke. <laughs> you know, uh, Higgins gets fired. He's, he's like, <laughs> first of all, some of the best audio editing in the show. Cause uh, Rebecca gets back to her office looks at the pen and you start hearing this deep bass and then you see the car and you should you hear the you hear the car but you're still focused on the pen yeah. and it's the rolls royce and then it's at the house and yeah. you're like oh he's playing the bass it's a very very cool bit of uh sound editing there yeah and you see higgins looking like a 17th century flemish painter right with the van dyke and he does he does look cool he looks he ridiculous. Looks really cool. But cool. There's three of us here to vote on this. And so I think you owe us a Van Dyke, Joel. I think I, I, owe, I might do this. I you got to give this. the people what they want. I think you owe us a Van Dyke. I just think that's the way it has to be. Syed, a question for you. There is a reference to a classic board question in this show, which I have experienced personally, where Ted talks about two day old rice. <laughs> you can't be serious, Mark. There you did. So I actually, this happened in medical school. We were all studying for exams and we all got sick and we were like, oh my gosh, we're going to be able to take our test. But yeah, Bacillus serious. Good man. You got it right. Back to you. Can you keep the run going? What does a British owl say, Syed? Do you remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I remember. He doesn't get to give the punchline, does he? The other guy, yeah, the rest of he them does not back away. You from should him. Google it. If you Google it, it will take you to Reddit. It will take you to like Google Ask. There are like conspiracy theories aplenty. There's no answer. He never answers it. People will send you to the Ted Lasso Twitter feed, but that's not the that's not them. It's not. It's it's got a blue check, but it's not like officially sanctioned. <laughs> it's, it's not the spokesperson for the show. Joel, what does the British owl say? Whom? Whom? Okay, that's that's the most popular answer, but we, <laughs> we don't we don't actually know. I, I love that one. I, I was like, wait a minute, we don't have an answer here, and we don't. We <laughs> I don't just realized that. Have an answer. Yeah, one of my we don't. One of my favorite bits is uh, when the first time Ted comes up to talk to Rebecca, she calls him to the office, yeah. and he does this whole little act where he gets into the chair and he kind of flops into the chair and then she says he says i'll just push rewind which he doesn't want to do it and he does a beautiful rewind and i'm thinking to myself oh my god sudeikis is just killing the physical comedy and then later on he says the greatest physical comedian of this century the last century and the previous century who's that i missed that so yeah bail me out <laughs> i'm trying to think <laughs> 
Oh yeah, yeah, Alfonso yeah, yeah. Ribeiro. Alfonso Ribeiro. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, to and, have and dear listeners, just so you're aware, Joel just got up and did the Carlton. Yeah, of course. <laughs> just so you, just so you know, you can't see it. He did it. You heard the snapping. I'm leaving the snapping in. That was him doing it, doing the dance, and it was it was epic. It was everything you'd want it to be. And to have a comedian say the greatest physical comedian of the 21st, 20th, and and 19th century is a pretty wow. That's big. That's it's big. Big. It's big. On that same vein, and I actually had this written down. Syed, I'll go to you on this one first. What is the greatest? audio backwards scene in movie history <laughs> and there's an answer to this question and you i will mean, give you hints if you need them you mean like the rewind like sudeikis did yes i would go with jim carrey from East Ventura. that's a good answer that's not where i was and i get to make the official ruling so okay. no that's okay. wrong all right <laughs> joel do you have I one can't, i i'm having a hard time thinking of any i mean early uh, val kilmer it's top secret. Yes. Hey. The library. <laughs> That's remember when they're in the library with the old guy and he's got the glasses on and his eyes are gigantic in the glasses. And then he blows on the book and sucks all the dust up in. And he's talking backwards the whole time. That's an amazing scene. I'm gonna have to link it in the show notes. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Early Val Kilmore. Nice. <laughs> Early Val Kilmer. That's a that, that's a Shapiro family classic movie for sure. I love that one. But I had that written down. The best audio backwards scene ever. As we start to wrap up, there's only one question that we can end this episode with because we've done really, really well here. Joel, you get to go first. What is the best electrolyte and why? Uh, it's it's sodium, right? First of all, I love salty sodium. foods. Salt. Yeah, okay. it's sodium. Right. I love salty foods. Okay. And then uh, it has it has and it, and it has a two different ways of going, right? So hyponatremia is the stealth disease, right? Your sodium can go all the way down to 102, and you can be completely asymptomatic, and it's one of the most startling things that you ever see. You look at the patient, you look at the labs, you look back at the patient, you can't believe this patient is walking and talking and acting normal with a sodium of 102. And on the other side, the flip side is the sodium that goes high. And it goes up to 155, 158, and the patient will drink from a toilet. They are so insanely thirsty. Like the drive to drink is second only to the drive to breathe, right? And like, you know, I try to think, uh, I try to explain having hypernatremia is imagine it like being held underwater. Like the desire to get water for these patients is like this desire that you would have to breathe. And, and it's that uncomfortable. And the fact that this one electrolyte can have both of those existences is pretty amazing. The juxtaposition, the, the, the uproarious laughter followed by the immediate tears. I love it. That's great. Syed, the best electrolyte and why? Honestly, I was going to go with sodium too, but I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to say potassium because it's so, it's so dramatic. (laughs) <laughs> when we were fellows, we all had shirts that said, uh, potassium is so dramatic. it's so dramatic. It's like, pay attention to me. The K is seven. You got to do something about me now. Right now. Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows the EKG changes. Everybody's oh freaking God. out. That's, that's why potassium. We used to have shirts. I am fellows twisting that around said, this yeah, point. Exactly. We had shirts oh, that, that said, what's the K? And that's what our, you know, re- nephrology, what's the K? Right. So I love it. I'll go with, I and it, it also has that thing that Joel was talking about, because occasionally you'll get a potassium and you'll look at the patient and you'll be like, there's no way. You'll, you'll look at the potassium oh again. Gosh. So, I yeah. love it. All right. Well, you both have given extraordinary responses, but I'm going to answer as well. And I'm not going to follow suit. I'm going to go with the working person's electrolyte magnesium. 
It's easily forgotten and ain't nobody going anywhere without magnesium. Lots of different, it's, it's pluripotent. We use it in all different settings. You can get it off the shelf. You can give it emergently IV. We can do, magnesium does it all. Most people don't even check it. They don't even know it's there. They think, oh, replace the potassium. Why won't the potassium go up? Hey, I'm over here, guys. Capital M, little G, you better check me. Magnesium. It's the working person's electrolyte. I'm, 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 I'm with the big MG. Mark, just take uh, your renal boards and be done with it. You're, you're a nephrologist. <laughs> I, I know. Hey, remember, if the potassium is not going up, check the magnesium because it's low. The words to live by right there. I love it. This was so much fun. Words to live by indeed. <laughs> These episodes are the best. Joel, you just walked into like a Shapiro buzzsaw of emotion and self-examination and narcissism, and you could not have just crushed it harder. This was awesome. Thank you so much. It's good. I have, I've, I didn't get the two things that I had. I had oh, stored up. I want to go. Yeah. So a couple. One of them every is good, when, Every uh, good attending and every good author gets an appendix. Okay. So uh, when Keely is talking to Roy and she's like, oh, you want to talk, right? Because Roy initially was like, oh, there's nothing going on. And he's like, what? And she's like, you want to talk? And then she's like, wait a minute. And she gets herself set up on the couch and she gets a pillow. She puts a pillow on his lap. Like, it's so clear. Keely has a way. Like, you have walked into Keely's, <laughs> Keely's little clinic of we are going to have some self-discovery here. It's such a cool scene. Totally. Totally. Those little touches make it easier. My wife always remembers to bring me some ice water. And that ice water always helps in that like moment of catharsis. She knows, right? Oh, Mark is hurting. Mark needs, you know, we need focused attention. There's always ice water. And it's it's awesome. Syed. One last thing. You, you knew I was going to mention this. Phoebe Walsh wrote this episode. I liked in the very end, she's playing chess. And yeah. she's playing chess with somebody on the chessboard, and uh, uh, Coach Beard walks by and goes, "Checkmate!" <laughs> At the end of the episode, she's moved all the pieces, and she's she's gotten us as the audience. It's checkmate, and that's the end of it. I like yeah, that little. It, little it's little awesome. Cue. Joel, do you want another another appendix, or, or did we? Okay. Did we well, I, this, the is a, this is more of a question for you. So, in the opening scene, we find out that uh, Roy had an own goal. Right. That's when he's in, in the trash can. They're right. saying he has an old goal. And the last soccer match I went to, we have a, a really good uh, minor league soccer team in town called the Detroit City Football Club. And we went and uh, they were playing in New York and New York scored an own goal. So we won two nil. So and, and that second goal was the second goal. It ices it. Right. Because the time is winding down. Yeah. Your two goal lead. And I'm thinking, how common is that? that? I mean, I had not seen in a professional level soccer an own goal before. And I've been to, I don't know, what, half a dozen, 10 games. How common are our own goals? It happens almost every weekend in the Premier League. There'll be at least one game that has an own goal. And, of course, the famous own goal is from the 1994 World Cup when it was Colombia versus Switzerland, Colombia versus the United States, and Andres Escobar scored an own goal and was assassinated like nine days later. <sighs> yeah, it's a great 30 for 30 on that. It's, I watched that game live, and I remember we all looked at each other like, this dude's in trouble. Like, this is bad because the United States beat Colombia and Colombia didn't advance in the 94 World Cup. It was when the United States was hosting it and he was assassinated. So they they happen and the stakes could not be higher. It's it's a huge, huge deal. There are like errors in baseball and there's own goals in football, right? You're, you know, the, yeah. the, the way the, the rest of the world understands it. And the stakes are like a th they are way higher well, than that's we a comprehend. Grip story. Yeah, it's it's dark. It's really, really dark. Own goals are a huge thing, but they happen a lot for sure. Speaking of wrapping up, though, we will wrap up Syed season one, episode 10 
soon and then we're done until we get new content from the show so we're gonna have to really get in the lab syed and get serious about some creative stuff because we're not stopping med lasso until all of a sudden we are graced with another episode of (laughs) ted lasso so we're gonna have to get in the lab we're gonna have to get some hard skills and some soft skills some serious like some serious like nose to the grindstone stuff to get this done until then joel what a treat buddy this was really really cool thank you so much for coming on can you can you tease the next uh, guest for episode 10? It's the VO2 Avenger herself, Dr. Carrie Quill, intensivist from Rochester, New York. It's going to be awesome. The I can't VO2 wait. VO2 Avenger. Yeah, she, she's the VO2 Avenger because she's an intensivist, so all she does is, you know, pulmonary pathophysiology. And um, she is one of our friends on Peloton Med Twitter, and I'm convinced she's pro. Um, she says she's not, and I just I, – you cannot convince me otherwise because – uh, the the ways in which she is able to hit levels on that bicycle are I, I I don't understand it. It's she is amazing. She is extraordinarily strong athletically, and she is going to be amazing on Ted Lasso season one episode ten. Shout out Carrie, outstanding, very good. Thanks a lot. This was awesome. I love this. This was a total blast. Syed, we did it again, buddy. Yeah, dude, it was we awesome. Got, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Like we. We got to come up with some more because I yeah. can't like go months without. No, I, I think we'll. I think we got some ideas. But me and Joel look right. kind of similar, and I think all nephrologists gravitate towards this one look. Yeah. Eventually, it's, it's <laughs> the ideal, the ideal look. And during, yeah. and during the week, throw a bow tie on. There you go. Oh my gosh, I love it. This was a total treat. Thanks, guys. All right, see ya. See ya. My thanks once again to Joel and to Syed for joining me on this episode of Med Lasso from Explore the Space Podcast. The finale of Ted Lasso season one is. Coming up next, we'll be recording it soon. We'll get it out to you soon. It's going to be an absolute blast. But this was really, really fun. This episode's a tough one. It's challenging. And I, and I really enjoyed the conversation and the way we were able to kind of break it down together. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship Programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Hit me on Twitter if you want, at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. Email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Check out the merch store. Check out the archive. It's all there, explorethespaceshow.com. We will be back soon with more great Explore the Space content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.